Good afternoon, New York, and the rest of our listeners around the globe. My name is June Stoyer, and I'm the host of the Organic View Radio Show. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Zoom, and you can also visit our website at www.theorganicview.com. If you'd like to be on the show or would like to find out about sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at questions at theorganicview.com. Today's show is sponsored by Eden Foods, the most trusted name in certified organic clean food. When you shop online at EdenFoods.com, enter the coupon code ORGVIEW to receive 20% off any regularly priced items, excluding cases. For other promotional offers, please visit TheOrganicView.com's website. And don't forget to check out our contest section. On today's show, Tom and I are going to discuss research titled Land Use in the Northern Great Plains Region of the U.S., influences the survival and productivity of honeybee colonies. First, I'd like to welcome to the show my co-host, Colorado beekeeper Tom Theobald. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, June. We're, uh, the fall is in the air in Colorado. The hummingbirds are coming down out of the mountains and getting ready to migrate south, and uh, I'm paying more attention to the woodpile. We've had some nights that were below 50 degrees this past week. So, And it's still August. Yes, fall is in the air. Welcome back to the show. This paper has been the topic of many discussions, basically because of their findings. I just want to read a comment in which a quote was taken from the paper. Quote, no neonicotinoid insecticides were detected in pollen at any sites over the three years. The reason that this is such a big deal is because there was another study done and Tom, perhaps you could share with our listeners about that paper that was published by Dr. Jonathan Lundgren. Well, this is an interesting uh, story unfolding here. Both of these studies covered a three-year period. Both of them are in the same region of the United States, the Dakotas. Their objectives were a little bit different. The Northern Great Plains study was looking at the relationship between surrounding habitat and the success and survival of honeybee colonies. So that was what they were trying to uh, examine. The other one, which was done by uh, Drs. Christina Mogren and uh, Jonathan Lundgren, was looking at the effect of planting flowering plots adjacent to both organic farms and chemical farms. Initially, their thought was that the plantings adjacent to the uh, organic farms would be their controls. Well, the Northern Colorado study, in a period of three years, to everybody's surprise, found no neonicotinoids. Hard to believe in an area where corn and soybeans are being raised. So, that needs to to get a much closer look. The other thing that is equally astounding is that in that three-year period, they claim to have found no corn pollen. Now, in my part of the country and most of the rest of the country that I'm familiar with, corn is very attractive to the honeybees. It's a, a source of protein. It's abundant. It may not be as high in protein as some of the other pollens, but there's so much of it that the bees utilize it heavily. To find no corn pollen in a three-year period is 
is puzzling, and these things need a much closer look. Well, Tom, you know, especially since we had Dr. Chris Connolly on the show a few weeks ago, and he addressed this very issue, he said, point blank, he can conduct research that will prove something one way or the other, given what the desired outcome is supposed to be. And I think that's what we have here. Well, I'm I'm not sure. I think we need to know more before we go down that path. But that certainly is a suspicion that that uh, these are very unusual results. And if you take a look at the Mogren-Lundgren study, again, three years, what they found was that all of the uh, flowering plantings, both adjacent to the organic farms and adjacent to the chemical farms, were contaminated with neonicotinoids. Now, they were looking specifically for the neonicotinoids, in fairness to the other researchers, but it seems to me that if the proper protocols were followed, it would be hard not to find them. And the Mogren-Lundgren study affirms that. They found the neonicotinoid levels essentially the same in those plots adjacent to the organic farms and those plots adjacent to the chemical farms. So there's much information pouring in on us, and uh, sometimes it's hard to collate it all, but I've been in contact with Dr. Pettis, who was one of the researchers on the Northern Plains study, and I've raised the questions that we're discussing here about the finding of no neonicotinoids and no corn pollen. And it's a very preliminary discussion at this point, but my hope is that the scientific community will take a much closer look at these results. Is that even possible, especially since there's been so much commotion concerning his position? Well, that's part of the story that's going to unfold. I don't know. There were some interesting things found with this three-year North Plains, North, Northern Great Plains study, though. They found that there was no detrimental effect on the colonies that were adjacent to chemical farms in terms of their long-term survival. What they found, however, was that the bee yards, and that I think in the case of this study it was 48 colonies would constitute a bee yard, and 24 of those were used in the study in each location. Those bee yards that had predominantly uncultivated land in their forage area both had better winter survival and more productive resources. They brought in more pollen, more varied pollen, and more nectar, more honey, in other words. And it's very interesting because while the uh, the cropland didn't seem to affect the, the long-term survival, at least long-term in the case of this study, uh, you could look at it the other way and say that the bees were most successful in the absence of cropland. Um, there's a lot of uh, there are a lot of unanswered questions here that need uh, further investigation. I think. Now we have an effort that apparently has been ongoing in Iowa, and it looks like may spread to other states by a group called Strips 
which is science-based trials of row crops integrated with prairie strips. They're doing prairie plantings on a very limited scale to capture runoff nutrients, pesticides, and soil. I've read as many of the articles as I can find on this. I just learned about it myself, although it apparently has been going on for several years. There's no indication that there's been any effort to evaluate the baseline poisoning of these lands or not poisoning. It concerns me greatly because it's these kinds of programs which lay the groundwork for much broader applications of what is generally called habitat improvement. And my concern is that based on the evidence that we've seen is the habitat has been heavily poisoned with these neonicotinoids and many other pesticides. And I can't understand why it seems to be so carefully avoided. How can we do habitat improvement if we don't understand the quality of the habitat that we're making these plantings in? Well, Tom, we talk about that every week. Right, and we have to continue to talk about it because there's been no change. And I'll probably talk about it next week. There's so much scientific proof about the impact of neonicotinoids. It's not just one scientist. It's countless papers over... Over a decade. Right, that's part of the story. On different areas. It's always the American scientists that are trying to say that the neonicotinoids are fine. They don't affect the bees. Well, that's because much of the scientific community in the United States has been heavily influenced by corporate money. Exactly. And, so and this shouldn't surprise us with their findings at all, especially after... What we learned from Dr. Connolly's interview a few weeks ago, when he said point blank, you know, that's how research is. The government will only accept certain types of research, and the only ones that can afford that type of research is industry. So, of course, it's going to be geared to produce the results that they desire to keep these products on the market. It's very basic. The healthy aspect of this, if there is one, is that the public is becoming much more informed, and they can see where they're being misled, and the corporate propagandizing is not serving its purpose to the degree that it once did. People are becoming much more aware of what's going on and applying more and more pressure, and I I sympathize with the EPA and the USDA they seem to be trying to cover up this environmental poisoning because to open that Pandora's box will show that they've been implicated in these decisions for decades that have brought us to this, what appears to be an environmental disaster. So why do you sympathize with that? Well, because I think that... What is there to sympathize with? I, I don't understand. Imp- I think that most of the em- EPA employees are just that. They're employees, and they're doing what they're instructed to do. And they might wish to adhere more closely to the EPA charter, but that's not And they what don't have an ethical obligation? That's not what they're being told to do. They're being of mismanaged, I believe. I think the problem here is... I think they're worried about their job of security. Of course they are. Of course they are, as you and I would be. Of course they're worried about their jobs, and they're being misdirected. Their talents and their their expertise is being misused by a management that is corrupted by the industry influence. Yeah, 
and then they're waiting to just publish a book that is a tell-all. Oh, you're not being fair can... to these employees. There are a few. Well, that's what we've seen so far. There are a few like that, but there are thousands that are doing their job and trying to stay out of trouble. And they're being misdirected, mismanaged, and misused, in my view. When you look at some of the leading nonprofits that are supposed to be advocates of specific pollinators, and they won't even acknowledge the negative impact of GMOs, what does that tell you? The dollar is what guides them. The dollar is what dictates what they can and cannot say. This is the United States. Since when do people have to worry about speaking up when something is wrong? Why are people being put in a position where they can't stand for the truth, especially when it's their job to do so? I could see, Tom, if somebody were in a position where it wasn't part of their job and it really wasn't any of their business. But when you work with the evidence, when you're working with all this scientific research and you do nothing about it and your whole agency was created for the purpose of the protection of the environment, of the animals, of wildlife, of humans, and you do nothing, that is criminal. I don't think it's just the management. If the people that are involved with it, if they know what's going on, that's the travesty in this whole thing. Look at DDT. June, I think no matter which of us is closest to the truth, the changes are not going to come from within these large agencies. The changes are going to come from pressure from the outside. And as I've the said, changes are going to come when enough people have died. As I've said, That's the, bottom times, line. the only pressure that we can apply, the only power that we have is the power of public opinion. And I think the public is beginning to step forward and take a much greater interest in these issues, and that's exactly what we need. And this program has been a large part of that. You know, we're one of the few, as you've said from time to time, we're one of the few, if only ones, that are speaking out regularly on these questions. And, Tom, I thank you very much for all of your hard work, your energy, your effort, and your time. Your time is so incredibly valuable, especially since you're losing the shirt off your back as you're going through all this. More people need to understand exactly what the commercial beekeepers are going through. Every week when you talk about what's going on with your bees to the different things that you've experienced, as well as your perspectives, it's so incredibly valuable because mainstream media is not going to talk about this because it's not profitable. They are not going to go up against their advertisers and lose that money. Well, I went to a talk two or three weeks ago on another subject, chemtrails, and the person who was making the presentation was very well informed, but one of the things she said really caught my attention because I think it relates to the problems that we face, and that is that something like 90% of the media is owned by six or seven corporations, and that's part of the problem, and I have to hand it to the corporate people. As I've said before, I was in the corporate world. I understand the corporate mind, and as evil as it may be, they've done a very good job of handling this situation. And one of the things that they need to do to advance their interests is to control the message. And they've done that largely. That's why and they're controlling so it on social media, too. That's why we're so unique. We're, uh, we're not controlled by them. But social media is now controlled. Now it's basically pay-to-play. If you want to get a message out there on social media... 
you have to pay for that privilege because everybody's looking to social media for answers or for information, rather, and it's at a point where if you want to get something out there on Facebook, good luck. You have to pay to play. That's with everything else. It used to be that social media was a great tool for communications. Now it's, it's changed. I know I'm in the top 1% of influencers on social media. I see what's going on. I see what they do to my accounts. I see how they try to stifle my efforts. But the thing is, is that my accounts are organically grown. I have too big of a reach. I'm connected to too many very visible people that are of great influence. And when they try to stifle one particular effort, I go a different route, and they're just not expecting I don't know. which direction I'm going to go Maybe in. Maybe you don't want to talk about it, June, but haven't you been under attack? Yeah, the servers, folks, and if you've been trying to look at the archives or any of the, the recent shows, listen to the recent shows, what have you, the site's been down consistently for the last, I'd say, four weeks. And this is the longest since the show was launched in 2010. Actually, the show was launched in 2007, but when it was more consistent in 2010. That's a shame, because the thing is is that we're just volunteers. We're just trying to get that information out there. So I guess the uh, the conclusion is that if they're hearing from us right now, that's good news. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, of course they're it's listening good news, to but... what we're saying. That's good news. We're still on the air. We're still there poking them. Well, I... Love my fans, especially from industry, because I know that they are faithful and loyal fans. They listen every single week, so I thank you. I thank you for driving the traffic to me, even though you still try to do everything to prevent me from repeating this information. And on that note, Tom, to be continued, thank you again for joining me. Well, June, it's always interesting, and once again, I want to thank you for all the sacrifices you've made to keep this thing going. I know how frustrated it is frustrating it has been and again I want to thank the listeners without them we have nothing we have no power without the power of public opinion so keep listening we may not always be right but we're going to do our best to hit the target so stay tuned folks if you have any questions for us please email us at questions at theorganicview.com Tune in next week as Tom and I continue the discussion. Thanks for tuning in. This has been June Stoyer with the Organic View Radio Show. Have a great afternoon.